Now, we never assume that everybody knows who Kim is, even though Kim has been here multiple times and we're so excited to have her back. But this is a little bit of information about Kim. In February 2018, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Kim began serving as spiritual leader of Unity Saxe in Saxe, Texas. That's Saxe. <laughs> that same year, she also realized that for three decades, she had been unwittingly crafting a modality of skills which transformed her life and once governed by chaos and feelings of unworthiness to one of peace and self-mastery. Her ministry then expanded to shepherding others to inner sanctuary through her healing modality and working for world peace through her movement called 8945 for Peace. You can find out more about Kim at thecalltopeace.com. And I'm going to turn it over to Kim. And she's going to talk about peace. I grew up in a family of five. My mother and father were married soon after college. My mother was running from a home that was rife with trauma and dysfunction. My father, I think, was also coming from some trauma, but I don't have details of his early family life. But they set upon marriage with considerable baggage and pain. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we grew up in a home where we witnessed very little love and affection. I could probably count uh, maybe two hands and have some fingers left over the number of times I saw my parents being affectionate with each other. Our house was governed by sarcasm. In fact, if you've read the book, The Five Lo Love Languages, I know that my family had a six, and that was sarcasm. That's how we dealt with each other. It's how we spoke to each other. It governed everything we did. My parents often did not speak to each other, gave each other the silent treatment. And so we walked on eggshells all the time. My mother just wanted us to, you know, don't, don't make your father angry. Or, you know, if he doesn't look like he's in a good mood, let's just kind of tread lightly because we don't want to, God forbid, we talk about anything or resolve any conflict or to ask each other what, what's going on. And why are you feeling like this? And what can I do to help? So that affected all of my life, my siblings' lives. In fact, I am the only one out of the three of us who married. And I waited until 44 to get married because I knew I didn't want my parents' marriage. And so I had to figure out how to do it differently. And I probably read every single self-help book that was written in the 1980s and 90s. And I probably read them more than once. Because I needed to know what love looked like. I wanted to know what peace looked like. I wanted a peaceful home. I didn't know what that was, but I knew what I didn't want. I knew what I didn't want. So by the time I got married at 44, God bless my husband's, uh, <laughs> he puts up with 
quite a bit. And in our early years, I had to learn how to be with someone peacefully. So in the beginning, when things came up and we would have issues with each other, I would have to say, hold on a minute. I need to go figure this out. I need to go somewhere and deal with my anger or my frustration, and then I'll come back and talk to you. Because I always knew that I wanted to come back to him and have an adult conversation, and one where I would say things that I would not regret later on. Because I was used to being in a household where we had hair trigger reactions all the time. Everything was born of suspicion. It didn't matter what you said. In fact, you could say, hello, how are you? And I would be suspicious of that because I want to know, why are you asking me that? Don't I look okay? Why are you asking me? What do you want? What did you do? Why are you being nice? And so even though I know knew that I had a husband who's very sweet and loving and grew up in a much different household than I did. His parents were very much in love with each other. They had a lot of fun, a lot of discussion. They played games with each other. We couldn't do that in my house without something happening. And so in the beginning, I didn't know what to do with that. I did know, however, that I would need time to figure out what I was feeling and not run into those patterns that I grew up with, not repeat those patterns that I did not want to repeat. And I, again, I may not have known what not, what to do, but I knew what not to do. I knew that I didn't want to spew out my suspicion, my dysfunction on my sweet husband. So he learned to let me go and have my quiet time and then come back and have an adult conversation with him. God bless him for hanging in with me through those early years. I also noticed in our time together, see relationships give you, those of you who have a partner, a husband, wife, you know that there are opportunities every single day to test your peace and your patience, aren't there? <laughs> Absolutely. Mine, however, seemed small, but they were based upon very serious ingrained patterns. For instance, my husband would be walking around the house, and I might be engaged in something, and I have the power to focus on something completely where I kind of forget everything else that's around me. So he might come up to me, come up behind me and say something, and it would scare me. And automatically, I would just go from zero to 60 and be extremely angry, and I would lash out at him. What are you doing? Stop that. And all he did was walk in the room. And it got so that he would give me a warning if he was coming in the room. Talk about walking on eggshells, huh? He would say, don't jump. I'm walking in the bathroom now. Walking in the kitchen now, and that would warm me. And sometimes it would still startle me, and I could feel the frustration come up, and I would lash out at him. I also noticed that it's not unusual for him to ask me a couple of times during the day, how are you doing? And I know that the only reason he's asking because he really wants to know how I'm doing. And if there's something, if I'm not doing well, he wants to know what can I do to make your day better. I know that about him rationally. 
My patterns, my ingrained patterns, don't know that about him. And so when he would ask me, I would go back to that narrative. What do you want? Why are you asking me? What's going on? Don't I look okay? What's up with that? And I'm certainly not in my peace then. In 2019, I was in a class at Unity of Houston taught by the wonderful Reverend Michael Gott. And one of our tasks was to go outside and to find a peaceful place. Again, here we go with the peace thing. And we were to commune with nature and listen for a message. Listen for a message. And that's when the peace initiative was inspired within me, 8,945 for peace. The peace studies of the 70s and 80s reveal that there is actually a formula for determining the number of people that can affect a population the square root of 1% of that group. There are currently 8 billion people on the planet. The square root of 1% of 8 billion is 8,945 people. So during the peace studies, they found that when people were in what they call the super radiance effect, when they were, they were meditating using transcendental meditation, that war, conflict-ridden areas got peaceful. Crime dropped. However, when they stopped meditating, conflict rose again. Crime rates went back to where they were. They did that study in, in Washington, D.C. And that blew my mind that just about 9,000 people can affect the peace consciousness of humanity, of this planet. 9,000 9,000 can affect 8 billion. And I thought, what if we could radiate peace all the time? What if it wasn't just when we're sitting in meditation in the morning or as a group? What if we radiated that all the time? What if we were peaceful in everything that we thought, said, and did? So I'm inspired by this in 2019, and of course, when we are called to a mission, what we have to end up doing, if we're going to walk the talk, is to be that mission. So now I'm being called to be peaceful. And I did have a very peaceful marriage, quite a bit of peace in my marriage during that time. However, I soon discovered every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, that I'm not as peaceful as I think I am. And usually it happened when my husband walked in the room and scared me. And I would turn around and go, oh, why do you do that? He said, I'm just walking in the room. Very simple thing. But again, my patterns were so ingrained that it just inspired this anger in me. And I had to figure out what to do with that because I don't want to be spewing that on him or on anybody. And also, I'm the one. I'm not peaceful as I'm in my anger and frustration and suspicious of him. It's not him I'm suspicious of. It's just that pattern showing up again and again and again. 
So I taught myself to take a deep breath. And I would sit and just be there for a minute. Sometimes it took a whole minute or more for me to not be in anger when that happened. And it started to work. One day I was at the printer, which is in his office at home, and he asked me, how are you doing? And I went, oh, what do you mean, how am I doing? And I listened to myself, and I thought, okay, where is peace in that? Where is peace in that? And I closed my eyes, and he's wondering, I don't know what's wrong with her, but by this time he's noticing that the wife is kind of crazy. So I've got my eyes closed, I'm at the printer, I took a deep breath, and I'm telling myself, there's no reason to be suspicious of this man. All he wants to know is how are you, and if you're not good, how can I help you be good? And I opened my eyes, and I said, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? Well, I thought he was gonna fall out of his chair. But that's the kind of agitation, inner agitation I had all the time. And just saying yes to this peace initiative made me realize that I am not peaceful in everything I think, say, and do. How often does that happen? And it was happening a large part of my day. But yes, there were times when I needed, I knew I needed to work on me, that I'm falling short. And if I'm ever going to radiate peace all the time, I have work to do. I have work to do. When I'm driving in traffic, am I peaceful all the time? No. No. How many times does somebody cut you off in traffic and either something comes out of your mouth right away, or your hand speaks for you. And you think something unkind. Can we start to be peaceful when someone cuts us off in traffic? Now I stop myself and I think perhaps there's an emergency. I've had to make one of those drives to the hospital because I've just heard that somebody, a loved one, has had an emergency. I've done one of those drives and I know that you're not thinking because all you want to do is get there. Get there. And so you're oblivious to every other thing. What if they've just had a bad day? What if they're angry? What if they're upset? What if they're just a bad driver? Does it matter? Because I'm not at peace if I'm flipping them the bird, or I'm yelling something unkind, or even if I take a split second as I'm passing them, again, because I gotta get up there and I gotta one-up them now, and I'm staring at them outside the windows if that's gonna solve anything. I'm not in peace and neither are they. And consciousness matters. That's what those peace studies proved, that consciousness matters. There's a ripple effect to everything that we think, say, and do. We've got to notice our patterns. How are we with each other? 
We're now the beginning. Well, I don't know. It seems like we're always in an election cycle, aren't we? We can just have an election. We're already thinking about the next one. Because you're either mad at who just got elected, or you're mad at the people who voted for the person you didn't vote for. And so now here we are again in an election period. We're prepping. The hype is already up. The hype has already been there. It seems like we always have hype, don't we? And here we are again. And the rhetoric and the narratives are all over the place. Can you be an instrument of peace during this election period? How many of you have lost friends because they voted for the other guy? How many of you are now estranged from family members because they voted for the other guy? How many of you will not sit with people because they liked the other guy? I had to think about those things. Because if we are all one love, then what? Is it lip speak? Or is it truly something you believe and express? It's easy to say the words. It's easy to say, yes, we are one love, one humanity, and I believe in prosperity for all, peace for all, harmony and unity, inclusion. Do you only include those that you like or agree with? Is your idea of diversity narrow? Do you wish love and peace and goodness for everybody, no matter who they are, how they pray, how they vote, where they worship, where they came from, what their background is, where they work, how much money they have or don't have, where they live? How many of us are just saying the words like in the Charlie Brown shows, wah, 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 wah. Is that what's coming out of your mouth or do you truly live what you say? Can you be at peace with yourself and in all of your relationships when you go to work, at the family reunion, and those patterns come back up and then you become the younger sister or the older brother and you're bullying each other. And can't have an adult conversation, a loving conversation. We have to get past tolerance, people, to love and peace. But that demands that we be at peace within our hearts. We have to do the work inside so that we can affect the consciousness of the world positively. I'm serious about that 8,945 people. And in order for me to be one of them, I have to live it. I have to figure it out. I have to evaluate everything I think, say, and do and ask myself, am I expressing peace in this moment? And if I'm not, 
what is my work, not your work. Because so often we say, well, if they would change, everything would be okay. If you would just vote for the right person, then you could come over again and we could be friends. If you would stop irritating me and you would just act the way I want you to act, when I want you to act like that, then everything would be cool. Yeah. You need to get yourself together. And I now know when I start to get self-righteous and arrogant like that, that I'm the one who really has the work to do. And my first job is probably just to be quiet, stop talking, stop spewing my stuff on other people. How many of us go there without thinking? Any one of us could probably step into any unity or probably other new thought churches or centers on a Sunday morning and at the end of service hear the peace song sung. And we're holding hands and we're singing and everybody's got their hands up at the end and it's a good kumbaya moment. And then we step out into life and we're singing a different song. We're singing a different song. It's so easy to speak the words of peace and love. So easy. And yet, and yet, we can get to that 9,000. 9,000 people. There's more than 9,000 people in Farmer's Branch. Nine thousand people can affect positively the consciousness of this world, and maybe things like what happened in Allen, Texas, last night won't happen again. Yes, I know we have other work to do, but in the beginning, we need to work with our own consciousness. We need to be circumspect about how what we think, say, and do. Because it all starts with a thought. Everything starts with thought. And so we need to get to the root of the matter, which is what are our patterns? What do we believe about ourselves, about our lives, about the world, about God, about whatever? What do we believe and are we walking the talk? If you got baggage, are you willing to fix it? I had to go back and look at my family of origin, look at that life, the way that I was raised, look at my parents as human beings, which is sometimes frightening to do because you think, you know, they walk on water for a time, then you go, oh gosh, there's some stuff. And their stuff is my stuff. Their stuff is probably my stuff. And what am I going to do about it? And it took me years to work on it. And as I've, t I've been telling you, I'm working on it still now. Now. But I'm more of an instrument of peace now than I was even six months ago. 
because I continue to do the work. I continue to work on my consciousness. I continue to work on my belief systems. I continue to work on the baggage. And we all know that once you work on the baggage, once it doesn't end there, because you'll end up working on it on a different level at some other time. Because we are always in the process of expansion and creation. Always. There's always a higher calling. There's always next level. There's always something else to go to. Spirit is always calling us forward. And so every time when I think I've made it and I can sit on my laurels and think, ah, I'm good. I'm real peaceful. I'm radiating peace all the time. And that's the time when the printer's not working, when I need it to work because I'm in a hurry. That's the only time my printer doesn't work is when I'm in a hurry. And I used to lose it every single time. I'm fussing, I'm shoving that drawer into the printer. I'm walking around, I'm sweating, my blood pressure's up. Why is the paper jamming? How come we're out of ink every time I need to print something and I'm just walking around fomenting all kinds of trouble over a printer? Over a printer. We got to do better. We have all kinds of examples about how to do, how to walk this talk. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 plus years on death row for a murder he did not commit. And he found peace on death row. Created peaceful, respectful relationships with both guards and inmates. In a dog-eat-dog -dog world, he found peace and power, personal self-mastery. He became best friends with a man who was a white supremacist and who was in prison for killing a black man. He and Anthony Ray Hinton became best friends and that inmate's family disowned him and totally ostracized him when they found out he was friends with a black man. It changed both of their lives. And Hinton was eventually released. He was found to be innocent of that crime, but it took 30 plus years to get there. He found peace. Charletta Evans of Colorado. Her three-year-old son was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. She became friends and adopted the young man who shot her son. And that young man is now her family, her adopted family. She found peace with someone who took her three-year-old son. Victor Frankel Edith, Ava, Egger, Holocaust survivors found peace within that horrific experience of the Holocaust and came back out more powerful and more peaceful than ever before. And they have changed the lives of millions of people through their work. Nelson Mandela 30 years just about, in the brutal Robbins Island prison, K-12 
came out changed and affected a nation. Talk about separation and hate and division. And came out a peaceful man and changed and affected the world. Jesus the Christ moved in peace. His peace was born of knowing his oneness with the Father. The Father and I are one. Father and I are one. No need to boast. No need to try to save himself. No need to defend himself. Even through what we call Passion Week. When he was arrested, brutalized, crucified, even on the cross. Scripture speaks of him being compassionate to those who put him on the cross. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not just anybody's peace, not the peace of the world. He said, my peace I give you. That same peace that is born of that oneness, that oneness, that one love, one love, one love. And when we truly, truly express and believe and think and say words of love, one love, on a consistent basis, yes, is it a high calling? Yes, indeed. And are we capable? Yes, indeed, for we are unique expressions of the divine. We are that one love. We have to know it. We have to embrace it. And we have to express it. You are already that in pure potentiality. And how often do we show up as less than that? How often? We can do this. We can do this. But we have to know that. And we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to grow. We have to be willing to do the work to get peaceful ourselves. To be truly, truly peaceful of each other. To go beyond tolerance to true love and peace. We have to say yes to that. And then every moment when we have those opportunities to show up in our divinity, we have to say yes again every single moment. Are there days when I get tired of it? Yeah, because some days I just want to, oh, I just want to say that thing. I just want to hit back. But I've taught myself how not to go zero to 60. Eh, sometimes I go zero to 15, eh, zero to 20. If, you know, especially if I'm tired, I know I get triggered when I'm tired. So I try not to be tired. I try not to be overwhelmed. That's part of my work. So what do we choose? Do you choose peace and love? How do you truly want to live? And do you truly want to affect this world? Because as each person gets more peaceful, the planet will be more peaceful. A lot of people now are saying, oh, we got to do more and pray. And do we? Yes. 
us. But most of the work we have to do is ours. Yes, we need to continue to pray. Yes, we need to continue to affirm that we can have a peaceful planet and a peaceful world and that all of us can live in prosperity and have access to all the goodness there is in this world. But there's work to do. And as the Quakers say, you pray and you move your feet. And you make it your goal every single day to be love and peace in everything you think, say, and do. So that's my invitation. Come with me. Let's walk this journey together because it's a whole lot easier to work and to do that when we stand as one. And then we attract others into that because they say, I want to do that. Look at these people are radiating something I want to radiate. And we become the attractive force, not the negativity, not the crime, not the bad news. We become the attractive force. And we start to change the world one heart at a time. Let's take this into meditation. Let's take a deep breath, breathe it in, breathe it in. I invite you to think about just one area, maybe it's one relationship, something in your life that is not peaceful. Perhaps you're estranged from someone, a loved one, a friend. Maybe there's someone you've cut out of your life. For some reason, maybe there's a group of people that you have negative thoughts about, negative talk about. Maybe you can't stand going to work. You got a coworker, a supervisor who makes you grit your teeth every single day. And I want you to see that circumstance or that person now in your heart of hearts. And see them. And if you can, see them with love. And if you can't get to love yet, perhaps you can see them with an understanding heart, with an open heart. Be willing, just crack that door open and be willing. Keep them in your mind's eye. And I'd like you to enfold both of you in love. You can see it as a white light, a golden light, a blue light, whatever speaks to you. Enfold both of you in that light and just be willing to be in the light with that person or circumstance. 
And in your heart of hearts right now, just keep saying yes. Yes, I'm open. Yes, I'm open to peace and love here. And as you are open, let divine mind, divine intelligence, the all good, let God show you the way to a manifestation of peace and love with this person, with this circumstance. Just be open to whatever inspiration comes. seeing yourself with this person or circumstance in love. Just be open. Just crack the door open. That's all, all that spirit needs is a crack in the door in order to flood in exactly what you're calling forth. And say, yes, I'm willing. And as you leave here today, if you still need to work on that, continue to say, yes, I'm willing. Yes, I'm willing to call in love and peace here with this person, with this beloved soul. I am willing to be one love. Let's take a deep breath together. Exhale. Let yourself relax. Let yourself be open. Keep breathing, keep breathing. And as we breathe, we are divinely inspired. Let that peace and love flow through every cell of your body. Imagine it moving through every vein, artery, capillary. See that love and peace flooding from your toes to your head. And let yourself be in that feeling for as long as you need to until you feel yourself one with that peace and love and one with that person, that circumstance and peace and love. Allow, as Kay so beautifully sang to us, allow yourself to be peace and love. Let's take a deep breath in one more time together. Inhale, exhale. And repeat in your heart of hearts, I am peace and love. I am peace and love. I am an instrument of peace today and always, in every moment, in every moment, in every moment. And so it is, and so it shall be. Amen.